Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you again uh, for joining us on the program again this week. And uh, once again, I trust that you have been uh, enjoying uh, the things that you've been hearing uh, from us. We've been preaching now for probably, I don't know, I'm going to guess somewhere around 30, 30 some weeks on the book of Revelation. And uh, we're probably getting the best response on this from anything we've taught to date on the program. And uh, because I believe it's kind of the next piece, people have a lot of questions about grace and favor of God and how does it fit with the book of Revelation. And uh, for me, this has been a lifelong quest. I've studied this book since I was 16 years old. I'm not saying I'm the only one who's got anything to say about it. I believe there are some uh, you know, great things out there. Uh, I can only share with you what I think God said to me, and then you read it and uh, l- let God open to you however He does to you. But we've really been sharing this book of Revelation from the perspective that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let me say also to you, if you have missed any of these programs, and you say, well, I just caught it today, and I'd love to catch up on this, you can do it. We have everything on demand on our website. Uh, Number one, you can go there by simply following that link that's on the screen right there. Our website address will be on the screen. And everything we have aired to date is archived there. It will take you to our YouTube channel. Uh, You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, our podcast. These things are available. Everything we've taught on our program is available as a podcast. It is also available as an RSS feed for your uh, your Android-type device, and you can go to our website again and download or listen to the stream of the podcast of just the audio of this. So you can go so many different ways. Also, uh, TBN has an app called ITBN. You can go back and watch the stuff on the Internet that they have aired from the church channel that we are on. Uh, if you did not know, uh, if you have a smart TV, a smart device, or even an iPad or uh, a device like that, you can simply go to the store on your TV or your smartphone and download the free TBN app. And that TBN app will give you all 10 of TBN's channels for free. So if you don't get it via cable, you can get it on the internet. Literally, it has given us a worldwide audience uh, through our internet-based television, through ITBN. So uh, you can watch it so many different ways, and then they are on demand. You can go back and watch them anytime you'd like and catch up with what we're sharing uh, on these uh, particular programs. And I encourage you to do that. Uh, tell your friends about us, though, and tune every, in every week, because we're going to continue to unpack and unravel this. If you are enjoying what we're sharing from the book of Revelation, please take a moment to send us an email or go to our public profile page on Facebook and uh, let us know that you're watching and that you're enjoying this so we know if you want us to continue teaching on this subject because uh, uh, if we're boring you, we don't want to keep on teaching on it, but we really got a lot of response to it. So uh, I think you'll be blessed and uh, let us know that you're watching. We're going to go back again where this will be, I think, about the fourth segment somewhere in that on the church at Laodicea. I'm going to continue to work on this one though because I've got a lot to say about it. So I'm going to read the text. This is Revelation 3 verse 14. Uh, Let me see. I want to go back here and get this from the King James Bible. It says, Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, Now, I'm going to deal with that on this segment. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, 
and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and to anoint thine eyes with thy sight that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now there's a couple things that I want to point out here, if you're taking notes, that I think is very, very vitally important. Number one is in verse number 20, he's standing at the door and knocking. Door is number one. I, I, if I was you, I would underline this. I'll show you why in just a moment. I stand at the door and knock. And then uh, verse 21, to him that overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me in my throne. And if I was preaching this, I'd say, now everybody say throne. Here's two key words, door and throne. But if you connect those, see what we do a lot of times is we go to the next chapter and we forget what we just read. And we don't realize that in the original language, there was no separation with chapters or verses. So it could literally be the same flow. And it says in verse 1, after this. So when I would see this word, after this, I would say, after what? Uh, what I'd have to say, the response is, for the last three chapters, we've dealt with the church repenting. So after this, after what? After you repent. After you change the way you think. Now remember that what we're changing, every one of these churches, uh, except for the Church of Philadelphia, the message to them was, repent which means change the way you think. Metanoia is the Greek word. And what we have sh shared in every one of these churches is that the paradigm shift is something that will move you from an old covenant form of government to a new covenant kingdom form of government. Uh, uh, under the old covenant, you were governed by rules on rocks. In the new covenant, you are governed by the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist would declare, repent the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. He, he was saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is within your reach. He was saying that to these people in this first century. And he was saying to them that if you could change the way you think, the kingdom is within your reach. And then he says, I, there, you know, there, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. So uh, the old covenant was governed by what I call rules on rocks in the new covenant, the government of the kingdom is the government that's governed by an inward uh, dwelling of the Holy Spirit because the, the Holy Spirit is what gives you the power, the authority, and the ability to embrace what the Spirit of God is doing in you is what brings you into this incredible kingdom of God. You're a citizen right now of the kingdom. But when I see this word after this, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know what, what it's simply dealing with is after you shift the way you think, I look to behold a door. Now remember, we just said a few moments ago, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I will come into him. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, after this, I, behold, a door was opened. So somebody opened the door that he was knocking on. 
And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now he says, uh, Behold, I stand at the door. Key word again, door, and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in to him, will sup with him, he with me. And then he goes on to say, To him that overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me in my throne. I submit to you that the door that he was knocking on at the church at Laodicea and the throne he was promising them that they could set with him is absolutely a few verses below this when there's a door open now, same one he was knocking on, and there's now a throne set that's in, uh, that is now available. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Uh, this uh, emerald is a stone that is green in color. That will be significant in a moment. But the thing is not only the emerald stone that was here that's green in color, but the rainbow that was around about this throne. What this to me is, is powerful, powerful imagery that is dealing with something more than just a Victorian chair on a planet three miles south of Mars. Now, one of the things that I want to say to you is that almost everything you see in the book of Revelation is somewhere else in the Scriptures. It is like, for instance, I want, if I, if I, I want to go back to chapter number 1, uh, or I believe it's chapter 1. Uh, Jesus is, is in, in chapter 12, he says, and John, the ba or John the Revelator says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, one of the things that you're going to see is the Bible will interpret itself. Where else do you see a candlestick in the Scripture? Well, you're going to see it, first of all, in the tabernacle of Moses. When God told Moses, I want you to build this tabernacle after the pattern that I showed you in the heavens. Now, when God calls Moses up, when God, when God says to Moses, uh, I want you to come up the mountain. I'm going to give you the pattern for the blueprint. The Bible said He opened to him the body of heaven in its fullness, and it was there that He gave him the tabernacle of, the, of Moses, which He said was the patterns of the heavens. And He says to Moses, literally, if you build in the earth, what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. All my life I've been taught to believe God's trying to get me from here to there, and I do believe there is a there. But I also believe that from the time that man lost relationship with God and fell in the garden, God has been trying to restore that relationship, and it's not just about getting me from here to there, it's about getting what's happening there to operate here. That's why Jesus would pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, because God said, If you build me a house, I will come and dwell among you. Now, Moses builds him a type and shadow house. The true tabernacle that the Lord pitched is one that is uh, 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 not made from physical hands. Jesus became the first of the tabernacles that was no longer in the literal sense because when he was about to uh, uh, literally be crucified, he, they take him in Matthew 24 and show him all the beautiful buildings of the temple. And he says to them, uh, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up. Their carnal mind went out of the safety zone because 
he's not talking. They're, they're thinking in the natural, and he's thinking in the spirit. And uh, he's saying to them, destroy this temple three days, I'll raise it back up again. But this spake he concerning the temple of his body. So Jesus was the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now he takes that further and says, what? Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, so that we are now the house uh, you know, uh, God finally realizes his dream because in, in Exodus, he said, let them build me a house so I can come and dwell among them. God finally realizes his dream in Revelation chapter 21 when he says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and God will dwell with them and God will wipe all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. God living in the midst of his people is God finally realizing his dream in this tabernacle. But these things are patterns. And when I begin to look at the tabernacle of Moses, I would say it like this. God lives in a three-room house. What do you mean? There's three courts. There's an outer court, a holy place, and a most holy place. And the outer court is where the blood was shed and there was a brazen labor. That dimension, that outer court, speaks of blood-bought salvation, your initial entrance into the presence of God, into the tabernacle of God. You've got to come by blood and you've got to come by water. That's in the first room of the tabernacle of Moses. There are multitudes of people that are in that outer court. The second dimension was the holy place. It had a table of showbread, it had a golden altar of incense, and it had the golden, seven golden candlesticks. Now remember, John in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation is saying, I turned to see the voice, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And John tells them later that these seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. But when you see him uh, turn, he said, well, I turned to see the voice, and I, I looked behind me. So if John uh, had to look behind him, he had to be standing in the third room or the most holy place looking back at the church or the candlestick, and he's standing in the most holy place because in the third dimension, beyond the veil, was a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. And from that perspective, John turns around and says to the church, come up hither. I submit to you that Revelation, the fourth chapter, is not a geographical relocation or a rapture per se. I think such an important event, God would have wrote that plainly in chapter 4. But I believe that what it is is a high calling. God is calling to these churches and He's saying to them, I want you to move out of the second dimension of the candlestick. And I want you to move into the third dimension of the most holy place where there is a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. I want you to see everything from the finished work. I want you to see everything from this viewpoint of the mercy seat and from this third dimension. And by the way, this dimension was overlaid with gold. There's gold cherubims, there's gold mercy seat, there's gold on the walls, there's gold intertwined in the veil. When he says, I, I want you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, what he's saying to them is, I want you to repent and change the way you think because there's a third dimension. There is a realm that you have yet to taste of where there is a throne. I believe that throne that's being represented in the fourth chapter is the same throne because it's the one He promises to us that if you can make this shift in the way you think because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. That's what the right robe that He counsels them to buy me, go try the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that shame of thy nakedness does not appear, is He saying to them, this righteousness, which is a gift, 
is what's going to give you access to this throne where you can reign in life. It is powerful to me that through the book of Revelation, he said, He made us kings and priests unto our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In other words, it's not ruling and reigning when you get over yonder somewhere. It's ruling and reigning. God wants you to reign. God wants you to reign in life. Uh, we are the sons and daughters of a king. We have a right to have access to sit with him in his throne. That's not just sitting on a Victorian chair on a planet three miles south of Mars. That is sitting with him in the place of authority with a dominion mandate issuing a word from the throne that can set creation free and establish the kingdom. See, one of the kingdom mandates is to make disciples, not just of people, but to make disciples of all nations. I believe that there is a resurgence of the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace that's going to come on such a powerful level that we are going to return to being the the light that we were called to be, and I believe that's what he's saying here to this church. So when I hear him say to them, uh, repent the king, or when I say here to hear him say, repent, and he will give us access to this throne room if we overcome, what he's saying is somebody is going to move from the candlestick to the most holy place. Let me say it another way. God lives in a three-room house. The outer court again was blood-bought salvation, water baptism. The second dimension was the oil of anointing that flowed into the candlestick out to the branches, had the table of showbread and the golden altar of incense. In uh, the third dimension was the mercy seat and had the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the, the tablets of unbroken tablets inside the Ark. Many powerful things. It's too much to get into all of it, but it also compares with the three feasts in Israel. The outer court compares with the feast of Passover because that's where the blood of the Lamb was shed. The second feast would have been the Feast of Pentecost that happened, I believe it was 50 days after the wave of the sheath, the first fruit they came, or after the, the Passover, 50 days later they would come to a wave of the sheath of the first fruit. It was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. That's the second dimension. The third feast was uh, the feast included in it was the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The third feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now all of these are feasts. But in the book of Revelation, he said, if you overcome, uh, I'll sup with you and you can sup with me. Now, I can tell you this, where I come from, if I'm going to have supper, uh, that's the third meal of the day. It's not breakfast, it's not lunch, it's supper. When I think of these things as feast, I'm thinking he's talking about feeding on the lamb, feeding on the finished work, feeding on what these feasts mean. So he's inviting us this time to a third feast. Now what I begin to really see about this is that God is really dealing with this church at Laodicea and the church right now uh, that you've been in the second dimension of the candlestick. Remember in chapter 1, the church, John turns and he sees seven golden candlesticks. So I submit to you that what God is saying is he's saying to the church, it's time to come up hither, not to a geographical location, but to another feast, another dimension, another glory. It's time to see what's behind door number three. And when he opens, uh, as he begins to give that call to them, uh, you know, I believe that what happens is we get stuck in the middle in the second dimension of the Feast of Pentecost. And the church literally has been in the Feast of Pentecost for 2,000 years. And I'm I'm going to tell you something by the Holy Ghost. There is a feast beyond Pentecost. There's another dimension. There's another door that God is opening to us that tells us it's time to come on in uh, to another feast where we can sit with Him in His throne where we rule and we reign. We move from the candlestick. See, a lot of times we keep on talking about God's about to do a new thing, but what we call a new thing 
is an old thing in a new package. And the truth of it is, is God has a high calling that He's trying to move the church and transition them, I believe in this hour, to a brand new feast and to a brand new dimension in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've got some teachings I've done on the Song of Solomon, but the Song of Solomon pictures the same thing. Because in the Song of Solomon, the king takes this woman, who is the Shulamite, which is a picture of his bride, his church. In chapter 1, he takes her for a walk in the gardens. He tells her uh, in chapter 1, the whole theme of the Song of Solomon is, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, because his love is better than wine. Uh, wine to me symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is there is a dimension beyond the house of wine. There's a dimension beyond Pentecost because at Pentecost he gives you his presence as in gifts, but in the third dimension, the most holy place, he gives you his presence as in he moves in. And in chapter 1 he takes her for a walk in the garden, the outer court of the king, and it takes her breath away. She's enthralled by all of this walk in the garden with the king and she's, uh, you know, she's feeling like a little overwhelmed. Uh, but in chapter 2 uh, the Bible said, He brought me to his banqueting house. And he stayed me with flagons of wine, and his banner over me was love. The word uh, banqueting house there and flagons of wine deal with the idea as to effervesce as if you would take a bottle of champagne and pop the cork and then uh, it would just uh, overflow. And see what happens in the second, see in the first chapter, he takes her for a walk in the garden. That's the outer court. That's the feast of pa Passover. That's where most people are at. They blood bought, born again, got a ticket to heaven. But some folks get called up a little higher into a second dimension. And in that second dimension, there's a bubbling wine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, where God literally, when it, it, it takes, you know, somebody said, well, it comes down, down, down. No, it really don't come down, down, down. It comes out, out, out. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit's already in you when you're born again. But it's received in a manifestation when God shakes your bottle and pops your cork. And it starts to bubble over. And it starts to sound like Shundai. And, uh, you know, and, and you start talking in tongues as it begins to roll out. And He stays you in that dimension with flagons of wine and he showers her with gifts. He shows up on the porch with a box of chocolate covered prophecies, a bouquet of word of knowledge and she's enthralled with all of these gifts. But the king has something more in mind than that. And then he later in the book of uh, the Song of Solomon, he tells her, he opens the door to the third room. And when he opens the door to the third room, which would be the most holy place, I hope you're following my thinking here. When he opens the door to the third room, it takes her breath away. And when it does, she says, Behold, our bed is green. Green. I want you to note that. Because the third room is the green room. In Revelation, the fourth chapter, there's a rainbow around the throne like in sight like unto an emerald. That's the green room. The throne room is the green room. In the third room is a mercy seat. I could say it like this. In the third room is a love seat. In the third room is the place of intimacy. It is the place of covenant. And there's a rainbow around about this throne in sight like unto a covenant. The new covenant is your marriage certificate. It's where you get married to the king and you consummate the relationship. And I've said it like this all over the country. Uh, no wed, no bed. And, and uh, out, you know, in other words, the covenant of the new covenant is what gives you right to be intimate with him. If you're not already married to him, it is illegal to use his name and it is, is illegal uh, to, to be intimate with him. But the third room is the loving room, if I could say it like this. It's the mercy seat. It's the place of restoration. It is the green room. It is the place he's calling you up to. Can you hear the high call? I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is really connecting with somebody 
somebody through this camera today because you felt this draw. You felt this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I could say it another way. David said it like this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd or my pastor. I shall not want, which means I will lack for nothing. He goes on to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he leads me, I like this, he leads me into green, note that, green pastures. He does it to restore my soul. You see, because when God brings us into this green room, when God brings us into this third dimension, and He brings us into this understanding of the new covenant, He brings us into this repentance, it restores our soul. The Greek word for soul is the Greek word suke, and it is the place uh, of where we receive uh, 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 salvation, the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our soul. It is the Greek word psyche, psychology, psychotic, psychological. Repentance literally restores you to the right frame of mind where you have access to the throne. I promise you, when that queen in the Song of Solomon came out of that green bedroom, she had a right just like Esther did to the throne, and when she would walk into the room, of the palace of the king, and Esther walked in. She said it was not according to the law, but she said when I walked in to the palace of the king, he held out his golden scepter. I could say it like this. He held out the scepter of righteousness and said, Queen Esther, ask me to the half of my kingdom and I'll give it to you. I promise you, because you are in relationship to Jesus Christ and you are married to Him, you've got a right to sit with Him in His throne and rule and reign. This planet does not belong to the devil and his crowd, and the devil does not win. This, this planet belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ, and God has given it to us as part of our inheritance uh, as a wedding gift, if I could say it like this, because the meek will inherit the earth. In other words, somebody is moving from the outer court to the most holy place. That's what this paradigm shift is about. To him that overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me in my throne. Behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It's supper time. It's the third meal of the day. Hallelujah. It's time to move from where we've been and stop steaks. If you've got just enough cold, you're in the outer court. If you go in the most holy place, it's hot. But when you've been stuck in the middle for 40 years, that's lukewarm. And God said, that makes me want to spit. I don't think there's anything wrong with any one of those dimensions in itself. But when we've been there for 30 and 40 years and we have not moved or progressed, I'm hearing the Lord say, come up hither. It's time to come higher. We're running out of time. I trust you're enjoying this. Tune in again next week. We're going to keep unpacking this. Take a moment to call that number on the screen or go to the website. Sow a seed into the ministry as it's what helps us and able to take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of His grace around the world. We do need your partnership. Without you, it is impossible to do this. And as you notice, we don't spend a lot of time trying to raise funds, but we do need your help. So call the number on the screen. Somebody stand by for prayer and to take uh, your call right now. Call us and God bless you for tuning in again this week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.